Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Before we jump into today's episode, who remembers episode 40 with realtor Tyler Kuhn of Savvy Realty in the North Carolina market? We talked about how to find the perfect market for your short-term rental. And we also talked about why it's important to work with realtors who understand the short-term rental industry and are co-hosts and hosts themselves when you're making your STR purchase. This team knows what it takes to turn a simple property purchase into a big investment without wasting time or resources along the way. So if you are just trying to flip a house, rent out your home, or turn a brand new property into a profitable business, Savvy Realty is the team to help you do it. Tyler and the team are going to look at more than just the specs of the home and number of bedrooms and bathrooms, but is this a property that is likely to get booked by guests? How's it going to do? How are reviews going to be? What's the regulation about short-term rentals in the area? Is there an HOA or CCNRs to look out for? Truly, with a purchase this big, you just want to make sure that you have the experts there holding your hand along the way. Follow the link in the show notes to book a call with a Savvy Realty agent today so that you know your next STR purchase is backed by a realtor who is a host themselves and knows what to look for. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer, and today I have on Rose Tipka from Your Family's Place. Uh, you guys may have heard a little intro about her already because on my Level Up Your Listing Summit recap episode, I shouted her out. She is the homeschooling mom of six, and she is running a thriving STR business and we have to have her on and pick her brain on how she's doing all the things not just that not just her accomplishments but she's also just one of the loveliest human beings I've ever met and such a pleasure to talk to and so Rose welcome thank you for taking the time to be here give us give us all your secrets let's start with an intro on your business I'd love to know like what markets you're in what your portfolio is and how you got started Yes. Um, so my name is Rose and I'm the owner and founder of Your Family's Place. And we are a vacation rental company that's located outside of Amish country in Ohio. Um, so we are about an hour and a half away from Cleveland, Columbus, Pittsburgh, and um, a little bit less than three hours from Cincinnati. So within those metropolitan areas, we're talking almost 14 million people that are less than three hours away from us. Amazing. So one of the things that people in bigger cities want to do, they want to get out of the city, and have what I call the approachable nature experience, where they want to be in the woods, but they also nature. want it to be comfortable. And so we, our properties are all within a couple of minutes of a main highway. So our guests are not having to travel to country back roads. Um, so they can be at our homes within a couple minutes of leaving the highway. All of our homes are totally private. We have big acreage. And so when our guests get back there, it's kind of like um, mini family resorts, but it's only your family there. 
I love it. Okay. Approachable nature. That approachable is, nature. That is like, it, yes, because everybody thinks that they want the nature experience, yeah. but do you, do you really, do you, you know, yeah. like, okay, that's a yeah. perfect way to phrase it. And approachable. my market is actually similar in the sense we are two hours. I, I host in Big Bear. We are two hours out of LA, OC, and San Diego. And it's funny because a lot of people ask me, like, why are you in Big Bear? That's a whole other story. It happened because that's where my parents' place was and that was where the opportunity to start was. But I always would tell people, if I were just to pick any ski resort on the map, I don't think I would have done Big Bear. I would have done like Vail or Park City. But now I really appreciate Big Bear because it is just that easy, drivable distance. You know, we there's so many like repeat guests and people who come uh-huh. every weekend. They don't plan out this huge expensive trip to go to Vail and whatever but it's just like the easy drivable destination so I think that's what you have too like it might Uh not be the you know top most luxurious market in the entire country but it's driving distance it's an easy getaway and I'm sure that leads to a lot of repeat guests for you a lot of word of mouth okay okay so how did you get started with this and then tell us about the portfolio too I know you said there's multiple properties with acreage how big are they and what are the attractions there Sure. So I'm first going to tell you about our homes and then how we got started. Okay. Um, so we right now have three properties and we are finishing construction on our fourth right now. Um, so our smallest home, and I use that term loosely, it sleeps 14 people and it has 15 <laughs> acres. That's our smallest home. It also has its own disc golf course. So that's the small version of what we do. Oh yeah. Gosh. Well, we had a lot of space and we want our guests to spread out and use all of the acreage. About five acres is more like a yard. And then the other 10 acres is deep woods. And by putting a disc golf course on site, they spread out and they use the whole yard. Wow. Yeah. It's a great amenity. Do you uh, provide like golf carts or anything? Like how do people get around and use all this yeah, money. we don't have golf carts. Um, insurance is not going to let that happen. Gotcha. Uh, but um, the air, the open area, you know, they walk it. Um, we have trails in the woods for people if they want to do that. So it's it's a great way to just feel like you are the only people back there because because you really are. Wow. Um, so that our next house up. Sorry, um, has a one more question. On that one, the fourteen sure. people. This is one single home sleeps fourteen, or you got one, multiple little yeah. like properties. That's one the- single okay. home. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so then our next house up, um, it has a main house and it also has a guest house that people can add on. And that's the cottage at Maple Pond. And it's designed like an up north lake cottage um, that has 19 private acres and it sits on its own totally private stocked lake. So we have our own lake, no other homes on it. And that the main home sleeps 14 and you can add the guest house for six more. So you can rent the whole property. We only do one group at a time, up to 20 people back there. Wow. Um, that's, it's, it, that is our very popular home because you have your own private life. You don't have to share it. Are you doing like weddings and events here? Like, are you doing- There are some, we've done some small like uh, micro weddings. Like Helen was talking on her yeah. episode about how the trend is people want to have that wedding weekend. Mm-hmm. And when I was listening to her episode, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm seeing in my guests is that they want to come for the weekend. And while they're there, they're going to get married. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a great, it's a great trend towards weddings. 
Did um, you guys buy the land and then build on top of it, or you found these properties that happened to have 15 acres of land? Yeah, so the first two we found, we also bought them before real estate went crazy. Okay. Um, now, the one that we're finishing up right now, that was, there's a lot of hustle to find the right land. Um, Middle Haven is the home that we're building right now. We'll be done next month with construction, and then we start bringing all of the furniture out. That's 32 acres. It's all wooded. It had never been timbered before. So it's all, you know, old forest, deep growth. Um, it's pretty magical back there. Um, that, the main house um, is a 5'4". It sleeps 15. Then there's a, an attached garage. And there's an apartment over that garage. And that apartment can sleep six more. So now we're at 21. And, and so we, are, we get a lot of people that do come to the area for these wedding barns and wedding venues. And they have always asked for a place for the, the couple to go for the wedding, but there really wasn't a, a really nice, just two-person place. So I figured I might as well just build that. So there's another separate structure. It's called the conservatory, and it is a romantic couple's retreat. Wow. It's designed like a Victorian greenhouse with an outside-inside kind of feel to it. And so that property itself can accommodate up to 23 people. There's two ponds, there's a waterfall in between the two ponds, and there's also an outdoor basketball court. And you so built, those are, you guys built yeah. this. It's a man-made We're pond. building man-made. that, yep, yes. And it's on the side of a hill. It's been very exciting. Wow. It's been a very exciting project. You made the waterfall yeah. and everything too. Yeah. Oh, man, man. yeah, I didn't. I hired the right, right people right. who knew what they were doing. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's a big part of the job is project managing. Um, And I've worked with our contractor for 14 years on a wide variety of projects. So uh, we have a really great personal relationship. I know all of our subs. Um, When things don't go wrong, I say, when things are going not the way that I want them to, I'll say to our contractor, do you want me to call them? Because that usually, that usually straightens things out. They don't want to hear from a homeschooling mom of six, okay? No, 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 no. Mama bears. They, they know, like, you get, we, have, we have great relationships and we live in a great community that has a lot of really talented tradespeople because we're close to Amish country and they have some really talented tradespeople. So that, that, you know, I hired the architect. We did the floor plan from the ground up, um, brought in all the subs and we're nearing completion. Um, and this is, uh, it's a $1.5 million house. Amazing. I'm saying myself here. Wow, look at you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So banning myself over this. This was the this is the new construction. This is the new construction. It'll be done next month. So. Wow. So sorry, the 1.5, that's yeah. how much you guys have spent on it, or that's why that is like that is up. our yeah. So we actually have um people like to find out how people pay for things. I think that's a very legitimate question because I know I listened to a lot of podcasts and did a lot of reading to answer that question. How are people paying for this? Yeah. This is how they're doing it. They're borrowing money. And people borrow money from, in lots of different ways, private lenders, creative finance. They have lots of different words for it. But at the end of the day, people are borrowing money. And so once I, once I just came to that realization, um, I actually went into three different banks in our community and I pitched them on the project and they all offered to make the loan. So then, so we have a commercial loan uh, with no money down building wow. this house. Wow. What's, can I ask, what's your interest rate on this? 2.7. Girl, when did you lock that in? 
January, January of last year. January of last year. Okay. But commercial interest rates are different from the mortgage rates anyway, right? It's really up to you and the bank to kind of determine the risk of the loan. There was negotiation. I love to negotiate. So that was, that that worked out great for me. I didn't really know what to expect because I had never done anything like that before. Um, But, you know, you got to leave with confidence, right? And you have to, you have to believe, I believed in the project and I did my research. I educated the people I was presenting to. And uh, hey, we got the loan. Congrats. Amazing. Okay. (laughs) I want to hear the story of how you got into this. And then I have a ton of questions for how you're doing this in Amish country and all of that. So give us your your story of how you even got into hosting is incredible. So can you please share that with everyone? And I I know this from when I met you at Level Up Summit. Um, caught you at Julie and Fuad and Kenny's dinner on Wednesday. Uh-huh. And just, I think it was the first time I've really talked to you in person. And I just was like, Lord, I've, I've known who you were for a while. Just, we kind of run in the same circles. But once I got uh-huh. you alone, you just blew me away. So I want everyone else to know how amazing you are. <laughs> so um, this is, um, I want everybody who's listening and watching to know that this story does have a happy ending. Um, it's not going to sound that way. Um and then for the gentleman listening, I want you to also know that part of the story is going to involve me saying that my husband was right. I'm just <laughs> going to get that out there. He was right about something. So um, okay. I've done a lot of other podcasts where I've told about how my husband bought our first property. Um, and so he bought it um, at an auction. And this is back when real estate was dead. So um, he had brought it to me and said, I think that we need to purchase this property. Um, and I, I, I think that this would be a good move for us because he wanted to change careers. And I'll get into why he wanted to change careers in a second. Um, at the time, I was what felt like 12 months pregnant with baby number five. And when you are that pregnant, there is nothing that you want to think about other than getting that baby out of your body. You don't even want to think about that part. <laughs> I just, I was just, I was, it was baby number five. It had been like the hottest year ever and I was over it. And coming to me with a new big project was just, it was just a no. It was a no for me. So then he bought it anyway and didn't tell me. Yeah. Cause I had the baby the next day and he's like, um, and the birth, you know, birth is a complicated thing. It doesn't always go the way that you plan. And it didn't go the way that I had planned. Um, and so he made probably the right decision and just didn't tell me that we now owned a property that I didn't want to own. Okay. At, yeah, it was a bold move. It was a bold move. How did um, you find out later? I, you'll get to that. You'll get to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, I did not find out for six weeks. when We were at a Christmas party and our real estate agent was there. And she said, we're closing on the property next week. And I said, Excuse me, what? We didn't buy a property. What are you talking about? Oh, stop. <laughs> yes. We had bought a property. <laughs> Have you guys that ever worked home. with that agent again? Like, confidentiality, oh, yeah. well, come she on. she was horrified. Because, I mean, like... She had this, no idea. It's, for, it's out of character for my husband to do this. But we'll get into why he did it. Um, but people don't buy properties and not tell me. Like, that's not how I sail my ship. And so when people found out, they were quite shocked. Um, When I found out, I was quite shocked. And I said to my husband, we're going to therapy. And we did. (laughs) 
but uh, but you know that's an excellent thing. You know, we were able to work through it because he had um, a really good reason why he needed to change jobs. So now I'm going to step back a little bit further, and this is the story that I shared with you. Yeah. Um, before my husband bought that property, he was in a very he was in a very bad car accident. Um, he was hit head on on a two lane country road. Um, the other driver did not curve and uh, hit him head on. Um, and the, he, so everything's going to be fine. This has a happy ending. Um, but he, his sternum was cracked and was pushing back into his heart. His ribs were broken. Um, he had such a severe concussion that he actually had amnesia and he didn't know who he was. Um, he didn't know anything. And now they transported him to the hospital and he couldn't tell them who he was. And his driver's license, his cell phone, everything that was an identification document was inside the car that had collapsed. And uh, it took them hours to figure out who he was. Um, that was very scary for him. I did not know that this had happened because he was on his way to a work conference and I was you just were, going about my day. You were just at home with the with the kids. Yeah, I was. I was on the mom track. I was doing the homeschooling, the making the babies, the raising the babies. He was on the business track, going to his job, doing his thing. We had made that decision that we were going to run our family that way. That was the way it was going um, until that car hit him. And that was it. Um, it took them hours to figure out who he was and then track me down. And then he was about an hour away. So I drove down to the hospital. I had a, I still had a baby at the time. Can you, I had baby number four. Can you yeah. describe, like, what did you feel when they called you and told you your husband? <laughs> well, I was, I didn't want to be a widow. That was the first thing. Um, a friend of mine is a widow with four kids and I, I didn't, I don't want to be a widow. Um, and I, I was, I was afraid because they wouldn't even tell me whether he was alive or not. Um, that's a very hard phone call to have. Um, it's something you never forget. Um, and I didn't want to be a widow. I didn't want to want to be left with four kids by myself. That's really scary. And, um, I was going to do whatever I could to fix it. Um, I got in that car. I drove down there. I had a baby. Um, he was nine months old. I put him in the carrier. Um, I walked into the room in the emergency room where he was laying there, um, just terrified because he didn't know anything. Um, and I put him back together because that was what he needed from me. He needed me to come in there and rescue him. And one of the things that he told me while he was in the hospital was that he, he could not die on the way to a work conference. He said, this can't be my story. I can't die on the way to a work conference. That was it for me. I was tapping in and I was going to solve this for our family. And that is when the direction changed in life. And um, when he bought the property, my initial thought was, well, there's the concussion because people who have um, bad concussions can do strange things sometimes. Um, but after going to therapy together, <laughs> talking a lot about it and working through it as a couple, um, we knew that this was our path forward and that I was going to do this, that I was going to start a company. It was going to be a success. And I was going to get him out of that job that he hated. And here we are today. What year was this? Um, his car accident was in 
um, at the end of 2015. And then, you know, recovery is a long time into 2016. Um, 2017 is when he bought the property. In um, June of 2020, he left his desk job to come work with me full time. Oh my gosh. We had baby number six of, in 2020 as well. And we got it. We got there. And it was a lot of hard work, but we did it. Do you maybe, I'm sorry if this is too personal of a question, we can cut this out, but do you still feel like he's recovering? I just, or, or are you guys, do you feel like you're completely past it or is there always going to be part of you that's kind of recovering from this physically well, and mentally? You, yeah. And spiritually? Well, I think that when you have, um, when you have traumatic things happen in your life, that that all that often informs your decisions in the future. Um, maybe a psychiatrist would say you're continuing to relitigate your trauma, which is perhaps um, a valid point. Um, but I, I think if anything, what it did was it took our values that we believed in and really just brought them into focus and said that we needed to make hard decisions take risks, um, and do the things that were outside of our comfort zone so we could have the life we really wanted to have. Um, and certainly people would say you were living the dream, you were at home with your kids, your husband had a good job, and yet that, that, is, that is the dream. It is a dream. But spending time with each other, spending time with our kids, you know, living you know, a home-based life, that that goal was something that felt unattainable in that arrangement. And so going through something like that, it kind of strips away your what is the most important and makes you focus on your top priorities. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I think what you touched on is like, it's it wasn't the dream. It was a dream. Like it's not your... I don't know. I've, I've kind of felt that myself too, because, you know, we go to a lot of these short-term rental industry conferences and stuff. And always the conversation is how many doors do you have scaling up to a hundred units? And I have had to catch myself being like, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, rah. That sounds amazing. And then I'm like, wait, do I even want that? I don't think I do. You do have to, there's so much noise and you really do have to think about what's actually right for you and your family. Cause it might look good on paper, but if it's not fulfilling for you, then what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I agree with you a lot. There, there's a lot of that messaging about doors and you know, what your gross is and all that kind of stuff. And, and those are what I would call vanity metrics. And if that's what makes you happy, you should definitely strive towards that. And I will cheer you on. Um, but for me, I want satisfying work. I want work that makes an income that supports our family and our employees. But I also want my time because my time has value. And as a mother, um, my time with my children is very precious and very limited. And I want to maximize that right now. My kids will not always be living with me. They will not always be little. It, it, it's over too fast. Um, and so right now, that is my priority. And so we built a company that supports our family and, you know, supports our employees, but gives us the time that we want because this moment in our life with kids at home and little kids, these are the good old days right now. Mm. I can work more if I want to when they're older, but right now, like this is the time of my life that I'm sure I'm going to look back and say, those were the good old days. 
Can I ask you like mom to mom a question? Because I, I totally feel that. And, you know, gosh, there are times where like there's sticky fingers like all on the cabinets and stuff. And I've been frustrated. And my husband, he's always like, Natalie, one day you're going to miss these fingerprints. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. Um, but where I would love to know your perspective, you say like, you know, you can have the kids now. And, and like if you want to work more hours, you can do that later. Uh-huh. I catch myself a lot. I get really nervous because I I personally have a lot of momentum in my career right now. Like my podcast is doing well and taking off and coming off of the summit. And I get uh-huh. torn where it's like I know that I the kids, that's a precious window. But I also feel like the growing the career is a precious window, too. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. What's what's your take on that? I would just love okay. to know your, your so ready. There. I'm going to give you a very important message. And if you are also a mom listening to this, chances are you're multitasking. And I would like you just just to stop for a second because I'm going to give you permission. You can have both. You can be the mom you want to be and you can grow the business that you want to grow and you can have both. And you only answer to you. There's no like, there's no test at the end of this, okay? There's no test where you say, you know, I checked all these boxes. That doesn't exist. The only person that you're answering to is you. And so if you want to spend more time on your career and that's what makes you happy and that's what makes you satisfied, I give you permission to do that. So if you're not sure to say, Rose said I could do it. <laughs> if you want to spend more time with your kids and pause some of those other things because that's fulfilling you right now, I say you can do that. I give you permission. You can have both. Because at the end of the day, you only answer to you. And that's okay. We all need, you know, like the WWJD, what would Jesus do bracelets? We all need bracelets that say like, Rose said I could do it. (laughs) And that's fine. Go ahead and do that. Rose said I could do it. Yeah. You can have both. You only answer to you. You don't answer to anybody else. That's good. Thank you for that. All right. We still got a whole other podcast to do. So, yeah. okay, let's get my interview brain back on. But that's thank you so much for that. Okay, so now I have to know how the heck did you start this business with a recovering husband? Um, kind of a like a transgression in the marriage, I guess. He went behind your back and bought this property without you. Um, so there's strain there. You guys had to go to marriage counseling after couples counseling. Um, he's still recovering. You've got the babies. What's the age range of all of your kids? Yeah. So my oldest is 13 and my youngest is two. Okay. So there are six kids in 11 years. How, how did you do this? Like give us the step-by-step action plan, you know, I, I, not just the like, you can do it, put your mind to it. Like how did you do it? So the first step is education. I needed to educate myself. And um, now I do have, I have a master's in secondary science education. I was a high school science teacher before we started a family. And when it comes to education, um, I know how to read books. All of us know how to do that. And that's really, that's where I started. I ordered all these books off of Amazon. I got my highlighter out. I took notes. And I was sitting at baseball practices and soccer games, nursing babies. I was doing all of those. And I was just seeping in all of the information that I could get. Um, So that was the first thing. And there are so many sources out there for anybody looking to get started or anybody looking to up their game. There's so many sources out there that are available. You have to take charge of your own self and your own schedule, your own knowledge, and make yourself 
as knowledgeable about the industry as possible. That's the first step. Um, we really wanted to focus on higher yielding properties and big homes do that. And since we have such a big family ourselves, we find it so hard to find vacation rentals that are big enough for us. Mm -hmm. So if that was a problem for us, we thought it would be a problem for other people. And so that was sort of, that was our niche that we decided to focus on. Big homes for big family groups like us. Now, the other side of it is, you know, I'm homeschooling my kids, but I've always taken my kids with me everywhere that I went. Um, have a baby, strap that baby on and keep going. Um, our kids go with us everywhere. They go to the properties with us. We're teaching them how to clean, doing laundry, all of that kind of stuff. Sometimes children are kept in like this separate, like no, no man's land in society. Um, and that's maybe that's a uniquely American thing. It might be, but our children can go along the journey with us. And so wherever I'm going, my kids are going with me. Um, they're at the homes with me. They're, you know, I'm working at the table on my work while they're doing their schoolwork. Um, I hope, I think that that answered your question yes. that you were, yes. you were asking, but I think that's a big part of it is my kids don't need to be hidden in a back room. They're part of our journey. They're part of our business and they're along for the ride. Yes, you totally answered my question. Um, that's I, I just look up to you so much. My kids are still young, one and two and a half, but I already am like their summer jobs will be cleaning the properties. Like I want them so hands on and involved. So so you can you can do it. You can bring them yes, along. You okay. can. And and again, you're your own boss. You can do what you want. <laughs> Like, <laughs> that's a great feeling though, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, I, I I don't have to justify to anybody else. It's my house. I can bring my kids. Um, and, they, and they should. They should be going along with you. They don't need to exist in a, in a separate space. As you were telling that, I kept thinking about, you know, when um, offices or companies have like, bring your wa bring your daughter to work day. And uh -huh. I'm like, wow, that's every day for you. Like you can, yeah. like you can bring your kids every day. I think we have to give kids more credit for how well they can adapt to certain roles. My two and a half year old. So my kids are 15 months apart. And the moment we had our second baby, I swear Violet, the older one, at 15 months knew that she was supposed uh -huh. to be a big sister. Like, I don't know uh -huh. how she knew. She was barely walking. She started walking at 13 months. And she would, like, the moment baby was crying, she would run over with the pacifier and just knew what she had to do. And so I think you're right. The earlier that you bring them in and show them everything, they will adapt and take on that role. Um, and I, I really want to homeschool. My kids are still young, but I've looked at a lot of families whose kids are in school and I'm like, uh -huh. oh, you know, that's how they're able to get so much done for eight hours of the day. Their kids are at school and that's when they're working. And I've been stressing that when my kids are old enough for school, what am I going to do? I'm supposed to teach them during the day. How do I keep growing the business? So how do you uh -huh. balance that? Yeah. So we have a schedule and that's a big part of it is, you know, we need to have a schedule so we know what the expectations are so that we can get our work done. Now, when I say that I homeschool the kids, I'm not the only person that's doing it. My husband is also totally involved with homeschooling the kids as well. So we are a team and we work together at doing that. Um, so at the beginning of each school year, I actually have a, a spreadsheet of all of our, we do 28 weeks of school, um, of the assignments that each of the kids are going to do for the school year. And we are both on the same page. He, we have our own Google folder for, for school. 
And um, we make a schedule for the week of who's doing what, when. Um, you know, maybe he's doing, you know, office work in the morning and I'm doing school in the morning. Maybe I need to go to a property and do an inspection in the afternoon. He's going to slide in and do the afternoon school. Okay. Maybe the weather in the afternoon is really nice and the kids want to play outside. Well, uh, I'm the principal. We can do school whenever we want. Maybe it's better for us to do our afternoon school in between dinner and bedtime. Um, we have the flexibility to do it whatever time of the day works for us. Um, so we're not tied to that schedule of pick up and drop off or when is there a school holiday. We have the ultimate flexibility to do it when it works for us. And we do more school during the summer than more traditional schools do because that has more time for us to do it. And that's okay. Once you start thinking outside of that, you know, traditional school box, you realize that the possibilities are, are endless. You just need to have your plan and you need to have hopefully a partner to help you with it um, because it's not an easy job to do on your own. And then you have the flexibility to do it in a way that works for your family. I like how you said too that you can like do their schooling over summer because I remember yeah. as a kid, I actually hated how long summer was. I couldn't drive yet and I was bored by the end of summer. Uh -huh. Like I want to see my friends again or something or like just get back to doing something. And so I feel like that's a great point too. Like this schedule just for some kids doesn't work. I hated how yeah. long summer was, but yeah. by the end of like the school year, I was just couldn't wait to be on break. And maybe if you can uh -huh. half your school day, but spread it out over the whole year. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like how you Absolutely. can A lot that. of times we just do half days in the summer. Um, and usually like with our summer schedule, they do maybe an hour or two, or depending on the child, eight to 10 hours of school a day. <laughs> but <laughs> but need you know, that's the thing. It, it It's flexible. And you can do it however works for your family. Um, a lot of times we have, sometimes we call it de-schooling. You have to kind of think outside that box, especially mm -hmm. if you went to a traditional school. I taught in a traditional school myself, um, but now we've been doing it for 10 years. And so we're kind of like homeschooling ninjas. Like we can make it work in whatever schedule works for us. So how do you do homeschooling while hosting? And not just hosting, you're yeah. also, like you said, you're a general contractor, you're a project manager of yeah. of these new constructions. So how are you like Johnny and Timmy? I'm sorry, I don't know your kids' names. How are you like, <laughs> hey, you know, sit here and do this self-guided science lesson and mommy is gonna yeah. go make sure that the tile work is being done. Are they yeah. just pretty self self-guided or how are you yeah. how do you do this? So our older kids, um, our three, sometimes four oldest kids are much more independent in their schooling. Um, they use curriculum that they're very comfortable with. Um, they do lessons like math and grammar, mostly on their own. We then, either my husband and I will grade them, um, go over anything that they missed, answer any questions. And so they mostly do that themselves. Um, the youngest two in school, because the two-year-old's not in school yet, um, will sit with them and do their schooling. But when they're when you're in kindergarten, when you're in second grade, you're not, it's not developmentally appropriate for them to sit there for eight hours right. and do that. That's not even developmentally appropriate for, for a kindergartner. So it, again, it goes back to having a schedule. We plan the whole school year, like content wise, we plan it all out way in advance. So we know what, everything that we're going to cover in that school year. When it comes down to like the week by week, we have a schedule for that week of who's doing what on which days. So if I have guest messaging that I need to do, I can be doing that you know, in between 
grading math and grammar. Um, if I need to go out to one of the homes for something, if I need to meet with the drywallers, um, first of all, I will often take the little ones with me because there's no reason they can't be there. And then the older kids are continuing on with whatever their assignments are for the week. Um, so it, it's, it, we're kind of weaving all of these different things in. So sometimes I'll say to the kids, you know, you're working on your math. I'm working on my PMS system and we are both working together. So they see that, you know, this is my job right now that they're working on fractions and mommy's job is over here setting up her email nurture campaign. And so we're actually more working together on our projects at the same time. Do you want your kids to take over the business one day or is it like you're kind of showing them that it's an option and they could, but they can also choose their own path um, just because they're seeing this so hands-on. Yeah. I wonder if there's kind of like a nurturing them into this role eventually or what you feel I, I would be open to that, but I think it's more important that they're picking careers that they find satisfying um, just because it's something that I enjoy doing and my husband enjoys doing. It doesn't necessarily mean it's what they would want to do. And I would always want them to honor their interests and their passions. And if they can follow those and make a a living out of that, I would want to encourage that. Um, family businesses can sometimes be tricky yeah. because um, people people's egos can get really wrapped up in it. And I would never want that to damage our relationship with each other. Um, it's just a business. It's just a company. They're my kid forever. And prioritizing the relationship would be more important to me than saying you have to carry on my legacy. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. I good answer. I think I probably feel the same way with, with my kids. Um, yeah. Okay. I want to know about, I have a lot of questions about you operating near Amish country. Um, uh-huh. How do you, how, uh, forgive my ignorance here. I don't really know much except for kind of the stereotypes out there. How do uh-huh. you like, are your cleaners Amish or like your handyman? How do you schedule cleaners if they're completely non-tech? Um, wh- mm-hmm. What's what's it like working in an area where that yeah. is the workforce? So first of all, our cleaners are, are not Amish, but they okay. are Mennonite, okay. which is like Amish light. Okay. Um, and they do use technology. They do drive. They do use smartphones and all of that kind of stuff. So um, half of our cleaners are Mennonite. And uh, we do employ almost a full-time handyman. Um, and he's amazing. And I can't tell anybody who he is because they want him. So he's mine. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we implemented Breezeway last year. And he was just like, he was on top of that. Good, so, good. Um, and, and that's been excellent for me. Actually, they are Mennonite. They're also my neighbors. So, so that works out really good. Um, and they do, they do an excellent job. It's not because they are a certain cultural group or anything. Um, so there are a lot of like bed and breakfast and that kind of stuff is pretty well established within Amish country. And so depending on the community, they have different levels of technology. Okay. Um, so that, that is not necessarily a burden. It's actually helpful because, um, there's a lot more opportunities to hire cleaners and handymen and that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So they can drive, they, they're using breezeway. Yeah. Gosh, sounds like your team is yeah. more technologically adapted than mine is. Yep. They did great. I'm like, we're going to use breezeway and here's how to do it. And he got, um, our handyman got breezeway safety certified this year. Oh. So I'm very excited about that. He was excited about it. So oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, that these are like my favorite stories when, you know, so many hosts, I think, just start hosting. Right. And then we're like, okay, I need to treat it like a business and outsource the Uh cleaning and the, and the handyman work. But 
there's a whole different fulfillment that comes when like you're getting other people to be excited about their their success too. The fact that he was yeah. so excited about the safety certification, yeah. that's I love that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's great. And we can help them out a lot too. I mean, that's an important thing that they, they're our employees, yes, but they're also my neighbors. Um, and we had a great relationship before we even started the company. Yeah. And um, like not this weekend, but next weekend, their church is having a conference and they have a bunch of folks coming in and they needed places for them to stay. And so they're they're hosting all of them in our homes next weekend so that they can pull off their church conference successfully. So, and I'm glad to be able to help them that way because they always have my back and they are always taking care of things to make sure that our properties are perfect when our guests show up. So we try to, we, we try to help each other and I try my best to take excellent care of them because without them, I'd have to work a lot harder. Yeah. And who wants to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to do that. Um, yeah. How... How does it work with the the clientele that you're serving? So next mm-hmm. weekend you've got a bunch of uh, church attendees, and how? Mm-hmm. What's the market? I know you said you're driving distance from a lot of metropolitan areas. Do you guys get a lot of repeat guests coming, or is it someone new every every weekend? Mm-hmm. Uh, are yeah. you booked on weeknights? Like, tell me kind of about your demographic and who you're serving. Sure. So we focus on multi generational families, and so our copy. Um, And our marketing material are really focusing on this idea of having that old-fashioned, nostalgic family vacation. Usually the person making the reservation is a mom or a grandmother, and they want to bring in all of their kids, all the grandkids into one house so that they can all have that, you know, old-fashioned family vacation together. So um, when folks are in uh, in our homes, we do a lot of you know marketing to them about Book Direct, um, and we have a really strong Book Direct game. Um, we are at eighty percent Book Direct for this year for twenty twenty three, and we also work really hard on guest retention. Um, I read a really great book last year called Never Lose a Customer Again, and it was you know coming from the idea that the time and effort that you put into getting your customer or your guest the first time is, is, is a lot of work and a lot of money. Now, if you can just hold on to that person, you don't have to expend as much time and resources finding new people. And so this book kind of laid out different parts of the customer journey. I implemented that um, uh, about half of the way through the year last year. This year, we have, a, we have 40% guest retention. So 40% of our reservations this year wow. are people that already stayed with us. And they all book direct thanks to that messaging. So we're starting to grow that clientele list where we have the same people over and over again. This weekend alone, yeah. When they come back, are they staying at the same property? Because you offer three properties now and the fourth one's about to be done. Are they coming back to the same one or are they like bought into the brand and they'll stay at any rows, any your family's past property? So um, our properties are sort of at different price points based on their size. So sometimes they enter um, us at, at our lowest price property, um, and then they might want to step up or something like that. But a lot of times we see people going in between. Um, during the summer, the cottage, since it's on the private lake, is is very popular. Um, our other property doesn't have a private lake, and so um, people who stay and they want to be at the private lake, they usually want to stay there. Um, so people kind of enter us at different price points and then there is some flexibility up and down on where where they want to stay next time. 
but holding on to those guests, once you've done the work of finding the right guest for you, you want to hold on to them. And so we do a lot of marketing, inviting people back, building that sense of nostalgia into the brand. That's why we're called Your Family's Place, because we want people to feel like we are their go-to place for family vacation so that they keep coming back over and over again. And I've been working really hard on that for the last year and a half, and we saw a huge payoff in 2023 for that. That is an incredible number, 40% retention rate. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, me personally, I there's only like one hotel or one place that I've gone to like two or three times. I'm usually Uh the type of person who when I visit somewhere, I kind of check it off the bucket list and I want to go somewhere new next time. Uh And I'm sure a lot of travelers relate relate to that. I kind of don't like going to the same place over and over. So the fact that you created something that 40% Uh of your customers want to come back to, that's unreal. (laughs) I'm just floored by that. And and also yours isn't like a quick getaway. Like it's a full on, they're coming with a huge group of people and yeah. hunkering down for a few days. That's incredible. Yeah. What are yeah. some tips that you have for people on how to increase our guest retention? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I do right from the beginning, when a guest books our property, um, as soon as they come into my PMS system, I have you know, their address, their phone number, that kind of stuff. The very first thing that I do when that reservation arrives and I have my rental agreement signed, all that kind of stuff, is I actually record a video of me talking right to them on my phone. And so like if you were staying with me, Natalie, I would say, hi, Natalie, thank you for booking the cottage at Maple Pond for June. You can relax. I know that we're going to take excellent care of you. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Just something short like that, less than 20 seconds. I, I text it to them right to their phone. So they're getting a personalized message directly from me, thanking them and telling them that I'm going to take excellent care of them. So when people are putting deposits down, they might be putting a $3,000 deposit down and they might not be staying with me for six to nine months. Mm -hmm. So my first hurdle I need to get over is to reassure them that they made the right decision. So there's no buyer's remorse. So that's the first thing I'm doing as soon as that reservation's in, is I want to alleviate any stress, make sure they don't have any buyer's remorse. The next thing that I do is I actually send a handwritten letter to their house, um, thanking them for booking, letting them know that I'm available to answer any questions. And then I had these, these are fridge magnets. Cute. And it has the logo of the house that they reserved. People will put anything on their fridge. (laughs) So they get the letter. And I have pre-gifted them a souvenir. So hopefully they're putting it on their fridge. Anytime they walk past the fridge, they see it. Oh, I'm going to be staying at that property. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to build that anticipation. So those are the things that I do at the very beginning when that reservation comes in to build the anticipation and assure them that they made the right choice. Are you listeners um, taking notes right now? Like, this is so good. Oh, my God. Yeah. A video, a handwritten note, a fridge magnet. And you just, you got custom logos made for each of the properties. And then what, uh-huh. printed these magnets on Vistaprint yeah. These are from, I get them from a website called Sticker Mule. They Sticker are very Mule. inexpensive. There you go. Um, I actually sent these to, like, um, the store that we get our appliances from is like a thank you. And he put them, he put my fridge magnets on the appliances and then whenever folks come in, they're like, well, what is this place? How do I book it? 
<laughs> so I have the guy at the appliance store selling vacations for me now. Look Fridge magnets. That. Look at that. And how much, okay, I'm guessing that you probably spent 20 cents a piece on these fridge magnets, yeah. 50 cents yeah. on postage to mail it, less than a uh-huh. dollar to do this. And for uh-huh. somebody spending $3,000 on a deposit, that's nothing. But the impact nothing. that that has, just the mental note and the thought that you're a host that cares about them, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Can I, so then, you can know, I get yeah. a fridge magnet mailed to me? Can yeah. you give me one in Nashville? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> My fridge magnets. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, we have a whole email nurture campaign that our guests go through leading up to their actual reservation. Wow. Um, the, the night before that they check in, I call them. I'm a little old school and traditional about them. I do call them. And um, but, you, I, you know, but you know your customer. To, yeah. like, to be honest, when you say that, the call, if I called my guests, I think most of them would hate it. Mm-hmm. Like I serve a lot of Gen Z and millennials and we mm-hmm. notoriously hate picking up the phone, but yeah. you know exactly who your demographic is. You said it's usually, you know, older moms or grandmas that are booking and how yeah. much would do they appreciate that touch? This is why it's so yeah. important to know who you're serving. Yeah. So, you know, I call them and if they don't answer, I'll send them a text because sure. I already have their number and I've already, I've already sent them a video um, but I call them the night before and I ask them, do you have any last minute questions before your check-in tomorrow? The most common question I get is, where's the grocery store? Okay, there we go. And I get that question a lot. And so I can tell them it's right at the exit you're going to get off. This is the best grocery store to go to. It's five minutes away. And so as part of that phone call, I also step them through what's going to happen on check-in day. Um, even though they've gotten a message that told them that, I'm going to step them through that because I want to make that first 15 minutes in the home spectacular because that sets the the tone for the entire stay. So I'll tell them, you know, you're going to get both an email and a text message. It'll have the door code. And if you have any questions, I'm always available. And just a simple phone call like that, um, I can answer any last minute questions they might have before their arrival. A lot of us aren't thinking about vacation until the night before you're leaving. So I'm going to, I want to enter into their experience at that point to answer any questions. Um, then they show up. I do have fresh baked cookies for all of our guests because oh <laughs> I am like a real Betty Crocker too. Oh my um, gosh. I'm going to quit after this. I, chip cookies. I cannot compete with this hosting experience <laughs> oh. you're doing. I quit. <laughs> yeah. Fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. Um, and uh, then I'm available to the guests while they're there, but I also know that they're not going on vacation to make a new best friend. That's why I give them the message, I'm here if you need anything. Um, So I I don't want to hover. They're there to have their family time. I know how important my family time is to me. Once they check out, so on check-in day, I actually drop another letter in the mail to them that thanks them for staying. I'll make a comment about the weather, like, and the wind was really bad on Friday night, or wasn't it great to see the sun, or, you know, just something very, very neutral. Um, and then I, I use Mark's favorite, do you know anybody phrase? Do you know anybody who would enjoy a stay at Mount Pleasant Lodge? If so, please share our website or contact information. And that letter, I actually send them a different fridge magnet, and this is a branded one for our company, and it has our website on it. Um, so once something has your logo, like your company logo on it, then it's not technically a gift, then it's more marketing. 
But I feel once they've stayed with us that they'll be confident and they'll be my own brand ambassadors. And so then I send them this second one. So hopefully they'll visit our website, see our other properties, that kind of stuff, and remember who they stayed with so that next time they come, they book direct. Wow. And you said an amazing statistic earlier that you get 80% of your bookings direct. Yeah. Can you talk about how how you're doing this? The other 20% is that Verbo or Airbnb? Booking.com? Yeah. So I just use, I do use Verbo. Okay. Um, when we first started off, we used both Verbo and Airbnb. And for the market that we are in, um, I was getting pretty low quality guests from Airbnb. Okay. Um, and so we decided that we were going to kind of rip that Band-Aid off. Um, and we went just with Verbo and we filled our calendar just fine. And once we kind of, we turned off the Airbnb side, we were on Verbo. That was when we started building the book direct game. Um, so we really wanted to focus on having a real business outside of another company that was sending all of our revenue in. Um, well, so there's, I'm sorry to cut you off too, but earlier when you were talking about your properties, I'm pretty sure like Airbnb, you you can't list for more than 16 yes. people or something like that. So when you were saying you host for 23 people, that was a uh-huh. question I had was how you're even doing that. So yeah, yeah in your case, direct booking. Yeah, we do direct bookings and that gives me more control over the guests and all of that kind of stuff. And since so many people are repeat guests, the people that I know I had a great experience with. And so that that helps me as the person who owns the home. I feel more at ease with these larger groups because I know these people at this point and they know me. Um, we we started working really hard on Book Direct last year with this kind of messaging. Um, make sure you book direct next time. We have a really professional um, high-end site. It's a Boostly website and um, it runs fantastic for us. Um, we do collect emails. We have an email list. And then I work with a marketing company called Build Up Bookings. And they run our email newsletters. They do blog posts. They do our Facebook, um, Instagram, and Google ads for us. Okay. Um, and so that has been really big for our company to work with Build Up Bookings because it allows us to do that kind of marketing email campaigns that a much bigger company would do. Um, but I, I don't have the time to do all of those things. Like I, I have math lessons to teach. So, so I work with people that are professionals in the field who really know what they're doing. And it allows us to drive that direct traffic directly to our website. Um, we use StayFi and all of our properties to capture as many emails as possible and, and put people into our nurture campaigns. And that all of those things, they were a bunch of those little things that have really just snowballed over time. And continuing to ask people, I'd love to host you again. When can you come back? I'm doing it in a friendly way, but asking specifically for people to come back and book direct. So a Boostly website, and you guys know we've had Mark Simpson on the podcast before, so you can go back and listen to the episode with him. Mm -hmm. So you've got a Boostly website, you're using StayFi to collect emails, and then you are nurturing those emails and all those leads through, what is it? Uh, It's called Build Up Bookings. Build Up Bookings. Okay. Yes. Um, and, how much um, do they cost every, what is it, monthly or annually yeah. that you're using that service or commission-based? Yeah. So it uh, they have like different tiered packages and they also, you can choose things a la carte as well. Okay. We use a package that comes out to about um, $900 a month. And for that, they are doing two blog posts a month and that helps the SEO on our website. They do two different newsletters 
So that's email marketing. Yeah. We call them newsletters because it sounds friendlier. Um, two different newsletters that they do all of our Google and meta ads. We meet once a month to go all of, go through you know the Google analytics and all of the analytics on the backside so that we then can tweak any of the campaigns. If one isn't performing as well, okay, let's cut that one. This one over here is doing really well. What's, why is this one working and how do we replicate that? So um, those are the kind, they also can manage your social media for you. Like you can add things and take it away. Um, I recently did some sponsored TV segments on the Cleveland, on the Cleveland News Network. I saw and that. I one was, went yeah, out today, I was right? on the news today. Yeah, um, congrats. So I needed a script for that because as part of the sponsored segment, I got to hand them the script. So Build Up Bookings has copywriters. Um, oh, wow. So I just got a hold of Catherine and I gave her my uneloquent list of things I wanted to say and she made a perfect script for me. So just having, I, I can't employ a copywriter full-time, so I use theirs. Can I ask how you are measuring the success of your Google ads and your Facebook ads? Because, you know, when you're, if, if there's like a product-based business and they are selling and they have Google ads, you can immediately funnel people to buy a product. But I feel like with bookings, it's harder because you only have so many weekends of the year. I don't know if you have off seasonality. You might even have fewer weekends of the year that are actually bookable. So how do you track if somebody clicks on an ad and immediately buys it? Maybe they click on it and just make a mental note to stay there in the future. I I just feel like it's a lot harder to track with. Yeah. with uh, well, you can put different like, yeah, that's what we call them cookies on yeah. different websites or like on uh, Facebook, they're called pixels. Um, so you're tracking where people are coming from and then you can see, you know, where did this person enter the funnel? What pages did they interact with? And oftentimes it can take 11 to 13 different touches before that person actually, you know, clicks, you know, reserve now. Right. But, you know, those kinds of things are built into the back end and then going over the Google Analytics, it kind of tells us, you know, what is our conversion rate, which page, which ads were people clicking on. Um, recently, we were talking about how people were interacting a lot with an ad that specifically said Amish country. But when they got to our homepage, there wasn't anything at the top of the homepage that said Amish country. So Build a Bookings made a second homepage wow. that when people clicked on the Amish country ad, they had a second version of that that took people to that one that reinforced that Amish country message. So, I mean, I I know some about Google Analytics, but I'm not an expert. And that's why I know enough to know that I need to go to an expert to help me with that. That is so, I'm already thinking like in my market, because, you know, in Big Bear, we are very popular winter destination and summer destination because we're Mm -hmm. on the lake. And I'm doing small scale things where I will like swap out the seasonal photos, you know, between Uh snowy pictures and summer lake pictures. But that's a whole other thing where with Airbnb, I don't have that control. If I had a direct booking site, I could change the Uh homepage. If people are starting to look for summer destinations right now, have a very summery, you know, paint that picture. Or if they're booking last minute and they want to ski, I could have a very detailed snow listing. So that's... Uh That yeah. is and so then you can there. direct them based on the ad that you're running. Mm-hmm. If you're running an ad that is targeting people coming for winter, they can be directed to a homepage that you have that has the winter picture. Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they're going off an ad that says last minute bookings, then they could be directed to a, a different version of the homepage that would reinforce that message. 
I would love to know, you're already at 80% direct and you're getting 40% retention rate. Do you have any plans to scale back on your Google ads? Because I feel like your word of mouth is so strong. I don't know. What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts here? Do you want to keep investing full force or are you really into like nurturing (laughs) just the, the word of mouth and spreading that? Yeah, I definitely love the word of mouth and the the guests that our guests bring to us are excellent guests. Yeah. Um, part of it is I'm always afraid that um, I'm always afraid it's going to end. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's that terror that, you know, what if I didn't do enough and we didn't and we weren't as profitable as we needed to be? Because um, it's on me. I have to do it. The buck, the end of the buck ends with me and I need to fill those nights. So we don't have a huge ad spend. Um, we don't spend a, a tremendous amount of money on that. Um, and especially with the book direct numbers that we're doing right now, it totally justifies the amount of spending that we're doing. We're only doing a couple hundred dollars between um, meta ads and Google ads. Okay. So it's not, we're not spending you know, $10,000 on, on those kinds of ads a month. Um, and we're filling our calendar really well with that. So I think we're in a comfortable spot. We can always be tweaking the messages so that we are putting the ad that our future potential guests react strongly to in front of them. I think I would love to have you on for a second episode and go through your email nurturing campaign that you're doing. Um, I know we're already coming up on an hour, but like that is so interesting to me. I would love if you're open to it to come back and break down like which email gets triggered to go out when. And Uh just hear how you're fostering those, you know, getting people excited in the pre-booking, during the reservation, and post-booking, and then how you're keeping up with this email list. Um, Uh So if you're open to that, I'd love to have you back to go through the sequence there. My final few questions for you are just a few logistical things. So for one, do you allow pets? Yes, we are pet friendly. Do you We do have a dog ourselves. um, and. We have, again, such a hard time finding a nice place to stay with him. Right. So we do charge a pet fee. And you do um, that on a direct booking site as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We do charge a pet fee. And we do have like a whole like pet welcome basket with blankets yeah. for people to put down on the couches and the beds, special towels to wipe off feet, um, clean up bags just to prime people to do the right thing, which they do. So we, we definitely welcome pets. And I'd say over 50% of our reservations um, people are bringing pets. I've not, the only problem I've ever had with a pet is one ran through a screen um, out to a deck. And it's it, that's not a big deal. Or as I told the guest as they were hysterically calling me on the phone, I'm a professional and things like this don't work me up. It's okay. Did they you booked even... and, they, and they came back and booked direct. Did you charge yeah. them even for the screen or was it no, like... It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't ripped. It had just been pulled out along the edges and so we just had to had to push it back in so it wasn't like it wasn't ripped or anything it was just a screen and they came back and spent they came back and booked another few thousand on another reservation so yeah yeah i'm a professional these kinds of things don't work (laughs) me up my other question for you is do you have a nightly minimum like four night minimum or anything like that so we have a two-night minimum this year, and I think next year during our busier season, we need to push it to a three-night because okay. um, I work too hard this summer. <laughs> so so we need to push it to a three-night. But our average stay is um, 3.8 nights anyway. So we can, we can get some of those longer stays in the summer. So during for us, our season is going to be May 
through about Thanksgiving or we're booked. We'll be booked almost every single night. We don't do same day turnovers because okay. of the size of the property. Um, holidays are always booked. We get some of our highest nightly rates of the year over the holidays. Um, January through May, we are booked um, every Friday to Sunday. Okay. Some midweeks, which is amazing, but every Friday to Sunday, like people in Ohio are coming in March every Friday to Sunday because they want to get away. Do you guys get smaller groups ever, like families of four to six that just love the Uh place, or are they always maxing out the capacity because that's, like, really where you guys excel? So our actually, our average um, group size is eight. Oh, And that's actually consistent through both, through all of our properties. Wow, okay. So, you know, there are those groups that are going to max it out, um, but eight is actually our average size. Gotcha. And my last question, what is next for you after this fourth construction is done? Do you guys want to build more? Are you taking more babies, more properties? Like what's, what's, what's in store yeah. for you? Um, I'm going to be done with babies. Six, <laughs> six is good. Um, I'm good. I'm going to tap out on that one. Um, so, you know, we are both in Hospitable Host Volume 2. Yes. And so I'm really excited to ride that train and see where that takes us. I have some, I have lots of things that I'm working on in the background to really use that book as a springboard for what hopefully is going to come next, which I'm really excited about. Um, I, I see us taking the brand, Your Family's Place, to other locations where families would also like to travel. Um, I really love Northern Michigan. My family is up in Northern Michigan. Um, and I'd love to recreate the guest experience we have here in these other locations. So if somebody enters our brand staying at a home in Ohio and they want to go up to Michigan for a vacation, they can have that similar experience up there. Do you feel in your case, I love hosting remotely and I feel like it forces me to detach a little bit, but in Mm -hmm. your case, when you do the fresh baked cookies and everything, Mm -hmm. how are you going to keep that, keep that consistent when you're in a whole other state? Well, you know, um, Stacey talked a lot at Level Up Your Listing about having the right team. And that, that is, you know, as someone who, who is there at my own houses all the time, that can be hard. But it is a business at the end of the day, and people do manage their homes remotely all the time. So I need to just, I need to have the right team. I need to have the right team. I need to take care of them and um, have confidence that they're going to be able to take care of it. Rose, this has been lovely. I need you on for part two, and we're going to get into your email sequence and how you're nurturing mm-hmm. all of these leads. Thank you so much. Um, I, you're, you're just so inspiring. We all need to walk away and say Rose told us we could do it. That's right. So if anybody ever, you know, why are you doing this? Rose said I could. And there you go. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to see you. This is actually going to come out the day we're all in Nashville together. And so I'll be with you in person when this <laughs> drops. Um, but yes, I, I will see you soon. And thank, thank you so much. Um, I expect a fridge magnet when I'm there. And right. maybe if you can fly with a box of fresh baked cookies, I wouldn't. They are. Mad. I'm driving so I can make that happen. Amazing. It's not that long of a drive for me, so I can make that happen. Although I will ruin you for all other cookies. Oh, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Your challenge accepted, huh? Rose, thank you again so much. Everybody go give her a follow at Your Family's Place on Instagram and keep an eye out for Hospitable Hosts Volume 2, which both of us are co-authors of and have our chapters in there. I cannot wait to read yours, and I need an autograph of 
from you in my copy of the book. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I'm I'm just so excited that we got closer through Level Up Your Listing Summit and it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And finally for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? Uh, we're actually going to call out Airbnb today as the Airbnb hole. This is a situation that I have been seeing more and more common happen on the Airbnb platform. I am lucky that I have not run into this issue yet, and I hope none of you listening have, but I want to talk about it because it seems increasingly I am seeing more and more screenshots of hosts posting the following message from Airbnb while they have guests staying. And I thought that this was the perfect time to include this as the Airbnb hole after hearing Rose talk about how she is getting 80% of her bookings direct. My biggest hangup with direct booking has been how do you actually implement it? Yeah, it sounds nice to have your own platform that people are coming through, but it seems to me like it just takes years and so much money to actually build it up to where most of your guests are coming directly. And after hearing Rose say that 80% of her guests are direct, I think it's the perfect time to talk about this so that if you are frustrated with Airbnb, we're not just venting about it, but you can re-listen to today's episode and actually have a solution. But Let's get into today's Am I the Airbnb Hole? Um, And spoiler alert, it's Airbnb. So here's what keeps happening, okay? I'm going to read off a screenshot that a host posted in a Facebook group. This is a message that she got from Airbnb themselves. And again, this is not the first I've seen of this. I have seen multiple hosts posting screenshots like this, and it seems like it is happening more and more frequently. So here we go. Hi, Jane. The attempt to charge your guest, Nick, for the amount due for reservation, reservation number omitted, from dates omitted, was unsuccessful. The reservation is still currently active at this time, and we have sent Nick an email alert with a direct way to pay the balance. If your guest successfully submits payment, we'll send you a confirmation email right away. If you have questions about the payment problem, you can reach out to your guest. If your guest does not successfully submit payment or if they cancel the reservation before making the payment, Airbnb isn't liable for issuing your host payout. If you prefer to cancel the reservation, you can cancel without penalty at any time before the trip begins and will not receive payment. All right, and the host (laughs) posted that screenshot in a Facebook group and said, what the actual expletive, 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 dollar sign, percent sign, at sign. Guest has been staying for a week, and on the last day, I get this message from Airbnb that they haven't actually paid me and they are not liable to pay me, but I can go ahead and cancel. It's the last day of the reservation, and it said paid under the booking and that the payment has been sent out. What is going on? Unfortunately, Jane, the host who posted this, you are not alone. I've been seeing this happen more and more frequently, and I am telling you, if there is one thing that makes me leave the Airbnb platform, it will be this. I do not understand how this is happening. One of the entire reasons that I choose to use Airbnb is because I don't want to deal with people's credit cards. I don't want to have to check if it's a fraudulent card or not. Airbnb specifically advertises themselves that one of the services that they do for hosts is the payment processing. That is specifically something that they advertise that they do. Customer service, payment processing, the marketing, the advertising, listing your thing for you, customer support payment processing. I'm seeing posts like this more and more often. If this has happened to any of you, please send me a message and let me know. 
I am, I, I just, every time I see this, I'm just shocked. This is so explicitly something that Airbnb should be responsible for taking care of. If they are going to accept the credit card payment, if the credit card fails for any reason, they should personally pay the host out of pocket. It is so unacceptable to me that they would let this guest be there for a week and on the last day tell the host that the payment didn't go through. And you know what? A lot of the comments I read on this post were saying, oh, it's your fault. You've already had the guest for a week. You should have been checking. Normally, payouts come 24 hours after check-in. You should have known 24 hours after their check-in whether the payment came through or not. Give me a break. If you commented that, go screw yourself. Like, it is so unfair, especially Airbnb should be supporting hosts who have multiple listings and multiple reservations going on. And if you do, it is so hard to keep track that every payment came through. I don't know if that's the case with her, but if Airbnb's ultimate goal is that more hosts get more properties, which it should be, they make more money that way, then they should do everything in their power to make the payment part as easy as possible. It should not be our job to have to sit there and make sure every transaction goes through. Give me a break. If anybody who's listening to this is the type of person that would comment that, stop listening and unsubscribe from the show, okay? Let's be logical here. Like, clearly this is within Airbnb's responsibility to be remitting the payments and we should not have to double check that we are getting paid when they make money from every reservation. It is just so unacceptable to me that that Airbnb, like, time and time again is advertising themselves as a payment processor and then letting these fraudulent cards go through. If you can't check it, this needs to be something that is established before the guest ever steps foot. How, like, literally, how dare they? How dare Airbnb? I love you guys, Airbnb. Like, I simp for this platform so hard. I am an Airbnb ambassador. I love working with Airbnb. I am on Airbnb exclusively. I'm not even on Verbo. I don't do direct booking. I love Airbnb. But this is the one thing that I swear is going to get me to freaking quit this platform. It is so... I don't know how this isn't illegal. How dare you let people check in to a guest's property knowing that you do not have their payment collected? How dare you? This has to be illegal. You cannot let people into somebody's property knowing that you're not going to be able to pay them out and just hoping, oh, we're going to ask them to pay. And if they can't, sorry, you don't get paid. You can go ahead and cancel while your guest is currently there. How dare they do this? This is just so frustrating. And I I don't know what is coming of all of these situations. I'm seeing them more and more often. I honestly anticipate like, a class action lawsuit coming from this of all the hosts that this has happened to. Even if it's just a few hundred dollars for a reservation, if Airbnb knowingly has not collected payment and is sending people in to check into these places and then on the last day of their reservation telling the host that they can't pay them out and they never actually collected the money, I mean, if something happened, if there were major damages and you don't have a credit card on file, I like, how are they running a business? This is, it's like... I don't know. It, it just, this makes me nervous, this problem, because I really do, like I said, I love Airbnb, but this is one thing, like, if they cannot get this piece of their platform in order, I feel like there are probably so many other issues under the surface. So Airbnb, like, seriously, you guys need to fix this. Um, this is a huge, huge, huge problem, and it is 100% unacceptable. If any host, if this has happened to you guys, please DM me and let me know. Um, I know people at Airbnb. I am an ambassador, and I am in contact with certain high-up departments, and I would love to pass along this situation. Um, so shoot me a DM with screenshots from the reservation number and the dates and 
I will do what I can to get this in front of people. This is so, so, so unacceptable to me. Airbnb, if you don't fix this, you are so the Airbnb hole. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.